0: Our leader for tonight is Frank. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Frank. And I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And um, so let me first of all get the weights and the dates out of the way. I came into OA in August of 1979. I had about nine years of initial abstinence, and I uh, then had about 18 years of relapse and recovery, alternating back and forth. And right now, I've got 12 and a half years of abstinence. And in terms of the weights, my top weight before OA was 430 pounds. I actually came in the doors at around 380 pounds. And that first year in the program, I got down to my goal weight of 200 pounds. And I stayed near that for those first nine years. And then the relapse recovery periods, they might have literally been close to six months of relapse and six months of recovery, alternating back and forth. And the problem is I gained a lot more weight in the relapses than I lost in the recovery period. So I, the weight ratcheted up to a top weight of 360 pounds during the relapsed recovery period. But most of that time was probably spent in the 50, 350 to 400 range was kind of my home range that I mostly was in for those 18 years, 18 long years. Um, and then uh, 12 years ago, I was at 400 pounds when I started my current abstinence. And now, I'm. Um, well, I got down to 210. I, I, I've upped my goal weight to 210 instead of 200 since I'm now 70 years old instead of 30 years old. And, um, and I got there, but now I, I went up about 30 pounds after I got there over the last 12 years. And that was not due to binging or breaking my abstinence. It was just a little more food at each meal than I needed to. And then um, I've tried to, to take some of it off over the years. And um, I've, in the past seven months, I've lost about 15 of those uh, extra 30 pounds. So I'm halfway back down to the goal weight again. And I'll tell you about my one, two, three. Well, I might as well tell you now instead of waiting later. Um, what I've been doing for the last seven months is whenever I'm going to have a meal or a snack or any time I'm going to put food into my mouth, I try to work steps one, two, and three. And so what I do is I will, the long version would be to say to myself something like, if I am truly powerless over food, then I have no business deciding what, when, or how much to eat. God can help me. Please help me. Something like that. That would be steps one, two, and three. The short version of that would be helpless, I'm sorry, would be powerless help. Powerless help. That's step one. And then help is asking God to help me. So that's the short version. Now I could just do that short version and then just start eating right away. But to slow me down a little bit and let that steps one, two, and three sink in a little bit, I have an agreement with my one of my sponsees that I will we will text to each other one, two, three whenever we're working steps one, two, and three. So I have to get out my phone, get to my sponsee, type one, two, three, send, and put my phone away, and then I can eat. So that's the ideal. Now there are times when I'm eating, and I said, oh, I didn't do one, two, three, and then I'll try to do it right there, and I'll send the text. Sometimes it'll be after I've completed the meal, um, but I think probably 80%, 90% of the time I get it done before I've eaten the meal. So it's become a bit of a habit, and I've and I definitely noticed that there have been times when I've had less food because of that. I mean, there's, there was I can remember some parties that we've had where, you know, stuff is being passed around, and you each take your portion off of it. I took a lot smaller portion than I normally would have, and a smaller portion than a lot of other people around the table took. So um, so it helped there. And there, there, there are times when I'm thinking about having a snap. I, snack, and I do one, two, three, and decide not to have the snack. So I'll, I'll text one, two, three, no snack to my sponsee when, when that happens. And um, so anyway, that's, that's what's been working for me for that, for that particular problem. But um, I'll go back and fill in a little bit. Little bit. I, um, I'm sure there's some people here who haven't heard my story, but I won't uh, go into huge details right now. Um, but I came into the program as an atheist. I was raised in a very traditional church, but I converted to atheism in high school because I could prove that God didn't exist. I was really into science and physics, and I could, you know, I had little proofs for that. And, uh, you know, it was okay for my parents and my grandparents because, you know, they needed God to work in their lives. But I had my mind. I was going to use my mind to live my life, and uh, this is, that's where it got me to. So I came into a program, and I had, had to hit a hard bottom in order to come to a program that talked about God. I also had to come in before the Internet, because if I had looked it up on the Internet and found out that it was a spiritual program, I wouldn't have shown up. But I showed up at my first meeting, and uh, I asked them, how can an atheist work this program? And it was a very small meeting, so they let me cross-talk, and I, there was like three people there plus me. And, um, and somebody at that meeting suggested I borrow the AA Big Book, and read the chapter, We Agnostics, that might be helpful to me. So I took the book home, I read that chapter, and then I was convinced this program was not for me because the only message I got from that chapter was, if we, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. And I didn't <laughs> want to be converted. So I had to go back to that same meeting the next week to return the book that I had borrowed. And if I hadn't borrowed it, I probably wouldn't have gone back. But I also hit a little harder bottom in the week between those two meetings. and um, And so I was a little more willing to listen to them at the second week when they said I didn't need to believe in a traditional higher power. I could use the meeting as the higher power or anything I wanted as a higher power. And I ended up going to a third meeting on the same day that I went to the second meeting. The first two meetings were at noon on Wednesday. And then I went to a Wednesday night meeting on that second Wednesday down in San Jose. And it was a much bigger meeting, like 40 people. And there I got the hope I needed because, you know, my, having, having been obscenely morbidly obese, my goal in life was to get down to be just in a fat man. You know, if I could get down to just the fat man status instead of morbidly obese, that would be good enough. But this man stood up there, and he was thin, like maybe even a little bit underweight, and he had lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for years. So that, that gave me the hope that it's possible to have re- recovered all the way down to normal instead of just the fat man level. So I kind of worked the program for those first nine years, but the first nine years, I wasn't really working very much of a spiritual program. It was kind of uh, coasting and, um, and uh, working a program based on ego, you know, because I got a lot of, of acclaim for having lost all that weight, and I was asked to speak at a lot of meetings, and I was a keynote speaker at the Region Two convention when it was in San Jose, and I was the, world, I was the intergroup chairperson I was the World Service Business Conference Delegate and I knew the members of Overreach Anonymous Incorporated, uh, the Board of Trustees of Overreach Anonymous Incorporated personally. And my eagle was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um my first my first sponsor, well, my I had I had I had two sponsors during that period and both of them have moved away. And at this and at this time, my second sponsor had moved away. So, you know, I'm going to preview my, my topic for tonight is going to be relapse and recovery from relapse. And one of the reasons I'm asking, making that as the topic, is that I've been asked to do a workshop on relapse and recovery. So I want to get your ideas. So that's the main, main reason I'm setting that as a topic. So you can think about the topic. If you've heard my story before, think about the topic instead. Anyway, um, so, you know, I was in the process of of, of not working a spiritual program and, and you know setting myself up for a relapse, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But at that time, I first started off by, you know, with my physics background, I counted calories as my food plan because quantity eating was my problem. It wasn't particularly sugar items or anything like that. But um, it gradually became kind of moderate meals over those first nine years. And my rule when going out to buffets was I could just have one plate. Now, hopefully it would be mostly salad, and it, you know, it might be close to avalanching off the side of the plate, but as long as it fit on one plate, it was, it was legal. And at this buffet I went to, I ended up having three plates. And the second and third plates were much smaller than the first one, but they, they were more than one. So that was my first binge. And then I had another binge a few weeks later, and I couldn't tell anybody about these binges because I had all these serve positions that had abstinence requirements. And I wanted to go to the World Service Business Conference that year. It was like two months away uh, when I had that binge and Finally, I had to uh, admit that i wasn 't abstinent anymore and I, so I gave up all the service positions and you know I, during those first nine years, I went to all the region two conventions I went to, to retreats and the World Service convention was a yearly back then. It used to happen every year, and I used to go every year and um, When I got into this relapse recovery period, I just went to meetings and I'm grateful for that. I mean, I, I knew that this program was the answer, but I, I wasn't willing to really work it. I, the best I could do was to show up in a meeting about once a week. I think I probably averaged once-a-week meetings during those 18 years. And that means I went more than once a week when I was in recovery and less than once a week when I was in relapse because there's definitely a correlation between my meeting attendance and my level of um, recovery here. But, you know, I tried various things there. You know, I, I tried counting calories during that relapse recovery period, and that didn't work anymore. I can't do that anymore. That's, that's not, not working anymore. And, um, you know, it, it just the, – the one thing I'm convinced about relapse is that when I was in that relapse period, I was not really taking that first step. Because uh, if, if I'm well, – the thing I would say to myself I – wor- I worked a one-day-at-a-time program, but it was the wrong day. It was tomorrow. I would say to myself, I'm going to be abstinent tomorrow. I'm going to start my abstinence tomorrow, and that means I've got to eat everything I can today. And, you know, and then tomorrow comes, and again, there's another tomorrow the day after that. You know, you can't work the one day at a time that's tomorrow. That does not work. It has to be today. In fact, you know, when on the path that goes around for years and years and years, I would write one day at a time was my comment that I always write there. But I've come to realize that that's too long also. I can't do anything about this morning. I can't do anything about what's going to happen, you know, 11 o'clock tonight. It's really one moment at a time is the way they have to work this program. And if it's one moment at a time that I can absolutely understand that I am completely powerless over food, then I have no business putting that extra bite into my mouth, putting that binge of whatever whatever kind of thing is a binge for you. I have no, I, no uh, business putting that in my mouth if I am truly powerless over food. Because that means I'm going to go back to 400 pounds. Taking that first bite is what lands up to the 400 pounds for me. It's not uh, It's not the 3,000th. I, I calculated it was like 30,000 bites it takes to get to 4, 400 pounds, something like that. But, but it was the first one that did it. It wasn't the 30,000th one that did it. So anyway, um, so this whole relapse recovery period was miserable and... Um, and then uh, what happened 12 and a half years ago is I think I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And uh, what happened was the the Region 2 convention that year was in Oakland, and I made the decision, hey, I think I'll go to the convention. So on the Monday before the convention, I started my absence, right? It's always on a Monday. That's the right day to start. Um, And I had five days of abstinence before I went to the convention. I went to a meeting a day for those five days. And then I went to the convention. And, you know, all of my friends that I'd seen all those years before, they kept going to conventions even when I stopped. So I saw a whole bunch of people that I knew that uh, were still there. And I I heard a lot of recovery at that convention. And I went to all the meetings I could at the convention there. And then I start, I decided to do 90 meetings 90 days. Now I'm retired, so it makes it a lot easier to get to a meeting a day. And that was working so well, I actually kept up a meeting a day for about three years. So that's how I started my current um, abstinence here. And it took me about two years to get down to the goal weight there uh, with that initial, from that initial 400 pounds. So it twi- took twice as long as it did when I was 30. So, so 12 and a half years ago, I started my abstinence. Oh, and the other thing is... My abstinence was counting calories. The thing that worked the first time is the thing that worked the, the second time. and I was just not willing to do it in between those two times. So, so I um, it's been counting calories, and just like I did the first time, I was doing that very rigorously initially, and then it was a little bit less rigorously. And, and I've done it for so long that, you know, I can roughly estimate the calories. And, and I, ent- I tend to eat foods that are come in packages that I have the calories right there on the package, so I don't, there's no guesswork about it. So, um, so, you know, TV dinners, things like that. So, um, so that's what I've been doing. And, um, and and now I'm at the moderate meal stage. You know, I, if I'm preparing my own food, I I still eat a lot of prepackaged salads from Trader Joe's or, you know, TV dinners, things like that. Um, and I try to just go light when I go out, eat at a restaurant, eat, eat on the lighter end of, of the menu. And, um, and when I'm preparing my own food, I just try to do the best I can. So, so that's my um, recovery here. And you know the the um, what do I want to talk about? How much more time do I have? Ten minutes. Ten minutes total. Okay. All right. So. Um, So, you know, the, the, this is a spiritual program, and, and that's, that's the thing I've really emphasized here in these past 12 years. So I'm much more hopeful about my continued recovery here in this period here. And, in fact, I, I say that I'm a recovered compulsive reader because that's what the first 100 alcoholics said when they wrote the big book. It says recovered quite a few times in the big book. And my understanding of the word recovered is that it doesn't mean that I am cured. I'm cured contingent on maintenance of my daily spiritual condition. So if I continue to maintain my, spirit, my spiritual condition, I won't have that relapse. I, so that's, but that's the requirement. But as long as I do that, I'm recovered. And the, the way I think about it is that, you know, somebody who's got a debilitating disease and they're in bed for a month or something, when they can get out of that, out of that bed and walk around and live a normal life, that's recovered. They may still have the disease. It may relapse at any time. But if they can get up and live a normal life, they're recovered, and that's what I can do. I can live a normal life I can go to I can go anywhere that there's food and I don't have to worry that I'm going to binge or anything like that so in that sense I'm recovered so um, but you know I've been trying to do a lot more spiritual stuff in this this new recovery here these last twelve years, um, and that includes things like um, prayer and meditation I'm actually For the first time ever in my uh, OA program, I'm actually doing a daily meditation practice of like, you know, 20 minutes or 50 minutes, something like that. It varies from day to day, but I've been doing a daily meditation for about the past eight years. And um, I tend to like the short prayers, and my favorite short prayer is more God, less Frank, because I need more of God's grace, more of God's will in my life, and less of Frank's selfishness and self-centeredness and you know i I've, I've come to believe that this is a as the big book says that this is a program this is a program for selfish and self-centered people and oh I'm, i forgot to send my pictures around here's the proof that i'm a compulsive reader <laughs> so um, you know the, the the big book emphasizes over and over again that selfishness and self-self-centeredness that we think is the root of problems and that's on page 62 And somebody at a meeting um, gave this little quiz. It's a quiz that you can take for yourself, and, and it's answering the question of, am I selfish? And I really like this. If I am resentful, it is because someone did not do what I wanted them to do in the past. They did not do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am angry, it's because someone is not doing what I want them to do right now. They are not doing it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am fearful, It is because I know that someone is not going to do what I want them to do in the future. They are not going to do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I feel guilty or remorseful, it is because I got my own way at your expense, and that is being selfish. So you know, no matter, almost any emotion I have, except for happy, I'm being selfish and self-centered. You know, any of the negative emotions, they all come from selfishness and self-centeredness. And the, the thing that I've learned in the last few years is the importance of step 10 for my spiritual progress. You know, I've, I, used to, I used to hear all the time that steps 10, 11, and 12 are the spiritual maintenance steps. And I've come to, to believe and understand that they're the spiritual growth steps. If you, you know, maintaining, you're just going to stay the same. But if you work 10, steps 10, 11, and 12, you can grow your spiritual awakening and, and ha- reach new levels of spiritual awakening in your program. And breaking down uh, the 10th step on page 84, it says, Continue to watch for, was I selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid? So the first step is to continue to watch for. You know, I'm a software engineer, and it's like having a little watchdog timer that's going around looking for, hey, am I selfish? Am I selfish? Am I selfish? So that's the thing to do. And, you know, I don't have that running. I wish I did. I I I wish I could write that subroutine. But I could be engaged in something selfish and self-centered for hours, without, before I finally realize, oh, I'm selfish and self-centered, or I'm resentful, or I'm afraid, or I'm dishonest. So the, the thing is to continue to watch for it. And when you can first notice it, as soon as you notice that you're selfish, you're either selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid, that's the beginning of step 10, is noticing that you are that. So when you notice that, you're basically st- taking step four. So you've noticed the, your, your character defect. The very next thing you do, according to page 84, is ask God to remove the defect at once. So it's to pray, to ask God to remove it, because I'm as powerless over my selfish and self-centeredness as I am over my compulsive overeating. And I can't stop myself from compulsive overeating any more than I can stop myself from being selfish and self-centered. So you ask God to remove it, and that's working step six and seven on it. Then discuss this with someone immediately. And, you know, if you're driving down the street, you're not going to discuss it with someone immediately. So as soon as you can, basically. Discuss it with someone as soon as you can. And I used to think that was an optional part of the step, that I would do that if I wasn't sure if I needed to make an amends or not, and I would call my sponsor and discuss it and say, should I make an amends? And he'd say yes or no. But I now realize that if you don't do that, you're, it's like doing step four and not doing step five. The point of that is to disclose to someone else my character defect, to admit that I have that same character defect again. It came up yet again. You know, he's, he, he notices the pattern of my step tens. And so... For me, what I can do is I can just send a text to my sponsor saying "10 colon, whatever the character defect is," you know, "angry at driver on road" or you know, uh, "yelled at my wife" or whatever it is. So I, it is, and it doesn't have to be a long story; it can just be a phrase or a short sentence at the most. So that's the discussion with someone else immediately. Then, if I've harmed someone, make amends quickly, and um, I can – you know, early on in this 12 years here, I, I can remember one time I was um, rushing to a meeting. I was going to be late for the meeting, and I stopped at a place to get coffee. It wasn't a Starbucks, but it was like that. And people behind me got their coffee before I got mine from the barista. So I said something to the barista, and I could see by his, his expression that, you know, he took it personally. or I was, you know, p- putting him down. Five minutes? Five more. Okay. So I um, – he said something about the shots need not being poured right or something ridiculous. I grabbed my coffee, and I ran off to my meeting, and I realized at the meeting I needed to go back and make amends. And so I went back to the, to the shop, and he wasn't there. He was turned out he was in the back taking a break, so I asked if I could speak to him, and he came out, and I made my amends to him right then. And, um, and you know, he said, oh, that's fine, thanks, and whatever. And the thing is, if I had not made that amends, I probably would not gone back to that shop again. Because I wouldn't have wanted to run into that barista and have that feeling come up of being guilty about what, what I had done to him. Because I would obviously hurt him when I, when I said whatever it is I said. But because I made the amends to him, I go back to that shop. And then he and I were like best friends. He, he would, we would have a conversation every time I went to that shop. He would say something to me, and I'd talk to him. And so, so that's the, the great thing. And then the next thing is very important, too. And then I turn my thoughts to someone to help. And this could be doing a 12-step thing. It could be making an outreach call to somebody. It can also be opening the door for somebody. It could be saying something nice to somebody, giving a compliment to somebody. You know, anything that's, that's the opposite of being selfish and self-centered. So that's the, that's the way the step 10 is helping with the selfish and self-centered. And the last thing is that love and tolerance of others is my code. So that's the selfish and self-centered. Now about relapse, and I'd like to hear from you about relapse. And... I was at the OA birthday party um, last month, and a speaker there, some of of what I'm saying here is from that speaker, and some of it, it's stuff I've added, but they they emphasize that relapse is a process, it's not an event. It wasn't that taking that first, that extra plate of that salad bar for me. It was the process that led up to it. And the things that can lead up to it are, for example, diminished contact with God, thoughts come back that had left before, emotions are more volatile. And then she had this acronym called SUDS, which stands for Seemingly Unimportant Decisions Happen. So, and an example of that is, for example, in the big book where the, where the alcoholic is talking about where he decided that if he put a shot into his milk, it wouldn't hurt him. That was the seemingly unimportant decision. It's not like he made the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, break my sobriety and get drunk. It was an unimportant decision. Just put a shot in my milk. It'll be okay. And takes a drink, takes a drink and then he's off and running. So seemingly unimportant decisions. The other, the other um, description of that that is in the book, big book a lot is the peculiar mental twist. It's that little, you know, you make that decision, and, you know, in your right mind, you would know that you shouldn't put alcohol into your milk. You would know that. But you, your peculiar mental twist makes you blind to that, and you do it. And in, in my particular case, my ego was getting bigger and bigger during his first nine years in the program before I had that relapse. It was getting a bigger and bigger ego, a big, you know, that's the opposite of, of recovery. So, you know, the, um, there's lots of examples of relapse in the hospital. In fact, the, this, this teacher emphasized that um, you get your abstinence from step one. You keep your abstinence from steps two through 12. So if, if you're not abstinent right now, I think, well, i got to speak for myself. During that those long period of time when i wasn't abstinent that 's because I really was not taking step one i It was my thing about i 'll start tomorrow you know i can I can have some today and i'm i I've got the power of the food, so I can overeat today and I can stop tomorrow so that's not taking step one and but to keep the abstinence after you've after you 've got it if after you 've gotten it, you need to keep working the other steps in order to keep that spiritual awakening that allows you to keep it uh, one day at a time so um and, in fact, in the big book on page eight, there's a, there's a place where Bill took step one before he met Abby, before he you knew anything about the program, before he started inventing AA. But in, on page eight, he says that he was talking about, he said that, no words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter, bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So that's him taking step one before he got into the program. And he actually had sobriety for a few weeks or a few months after that, but then he inevitably came back and, and, and relapsed because he ha- didn't have steps two, 2 through 12 to work through there. So, um, so anyway, um, what I'd like to hear from you is, you know, what, what are your thoughts about relapse and recovery, and I'll be making some notes, hopefully, to um, help me do a better workshop when I talk to these other people. So thanks. Thank you.